Amen. Good afternoon, church. My name is Tariq Burton, and alongside my wife, Jackie, and our, our soon-to-be daughter, our soon-to-be-born daughter, we lead the high school and campus ministries here in the Santa Barbara Church of Christ. Uh, can we give another round of applause to, to Josh Zajac? I thought he did a great job for communion there. I'm so glad that uh, you didn't choose me. I like to say that I am musically gifted, but that's my own interpretation. You may have a different interpretation. Usually when I sing by other people um, in the congregation when we're worshiping, I default to bass because I could do bass very well. Lord knows if I go higher, there might be some problems. All right, but I thought that was a great job. Thank you for sharing. That was different with the cello. It was different. Maybe I'll bring like a, a recorder next time and use that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 will be in verse 1. It'll be up there on the screen. We'll reference it several times throughout our teaching time here today. So it might behoove you. It's a different word, huh? Behoove you. It might behoove you to turn to it and just have it there for a reference. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Again, as Chris said, we want to extend a very special welcome to you. You are our guest. We're glad that you're here and you took the time to worship with us today. Every day is a good day to come, but you chose a special day to come. Because we're rocking flannels and we're eating crockpot food afterwards, and so it's going to be a fun time. Um, hopefully you came hungry, uh, but not too hungry, so we can share our food together. John chapter 3, verse 1. Many of us are, are familiar with this passage here. We'll read it here together, and we'll open with a prayer. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I want to talk from this subject in our time here together. Authentic conversion. Authentic conversion. Let's go ahead and let's let's have a prayer. God, we love you, God, and we know that you absolutely adore us, Father, and we know that you're looking down on us. With joy and you're proud because we're here today. I pray that you're with our time here this afternoon. God, we are not even 20 days into the new year. God, the year is still young and in many different ways, the decisions that we make today are going to last and carry out for the rest of this year. I pray that we can make decisions based off what we hear um, in your word today. God, we're gathered because we want to hear from you. Please use me. God, in a powerful way to speak your word so that we all can become better followers of you. God, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Happiness, peace, met needs, everlasting life, hope, a future, prosperity, desires of our hearts given, worry-free, soaring on wings like eagles, not exempt from hardships but loved no matter what. There is a radically different quality of life Jesus promises to those who authentically follow him. It is a life that is described in a masterful way in the ever so popular John 10 verse 10 where Jesus is quoted as saying, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This radically different quality of life that Jesus promises to each and every one of us here today is a life that is described as a life where we find peace for our souls. I don't know about you. I had a busy week. I had a stressful week. And so when I hear that phrase, peace for the soul, I can't help myself but say amen. I want some of that. It's a life where Jesus describes, next slide, in John 15, verse 11. A life where he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. He says, as a result of following me, 
you have the opportunity to live life in such a way where your joy meter is on full. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, my, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, not the peace that the world gives. Jesus is saying there's two different types of peace. Number one is the peace that the world gives. And that's a peace that's when things are going well in my life. Everything is cool, calm, copacetic, bills are paid, family is, is acting right, children are behaving sensibly. That's the peace that the, the world gives. He says, I came to give you a different type of peace. It's a peace that's beyond our comprehension. A peace where Paul says it's beyond understanding. The life that Jesus describes that's available for each and every one of us today is described as using such words as joy, peace, you go to the next slide, happiness, freedom, and righteousness. Now, if you look on the screen, you'll see that there's Forbes, a, a logo for Forbes magazine and, and the Huffington Post. Now, that's there for a very specific purpose. From time to time, these two sources of information, they take surveys and they ask people what they desire from life. Four of those things on this list fall in, under the top five things people desire in life. Joy, peace, freedom, and happiness. Money is the fifth one. Those four out of the five things on those lists, people want those things. That's the life Jesus promises to us. I put that on the screen to show you that people want this. This is what people desire. Jesus has promised it to us. So the question is, how do I inherit this life? How do I get this life that Jesus had promised to me? A life that's vastly different than what is normal or mundane. How? How? What incarnation do I need to do to get this life? And the answer is it's simple. It's extremely simple. Next slide. The only way to get the life the Bible talks about is by practicing the Christianity the Bible talks about. The only way to get this life Jesus promises to us, a life that is attracted, attractive to everyone. Everyone wants this type of life, whether you believe in God or not. People want those things that we just discussed. The only way to receive that type of life is by practicing the Christianity the Bible talks about. We need to practice a faith that resembles its founder. And this is an area where Satan, the enemy, has infiltrated. And he has, he has influenced Christianity to such a degree where he's given us something inauthentic, where he's given us something that operates untrue to its original form. And he has believers all over the world, all over the world, deceived and confused into thinking liking Christ is the same thing as being like Christ. The two sound similar, but they're completely different. And we're going to discuss those two things today, but for now I'll give you this. Liking Christ helps you feel better. Being like Christ helps you live better. Now, I don't know about you, church. I can only hope to say things. I can only speak for myself. I will never claim to speak for you. I will only speak for myself and hope that you agree. I don't just want to feel better. I want to live better. The Bible says that we can operate in such a way where we have peace that transcends all understanding. I want that for my life. I want the real thing because I want real results. I don't want half-baked Christianity because I don't want half-baked results. I want the real thing. I want to practice a faith that resembles Jesus Christ. I want the real thing. I want authentic Christianity. And here it is for my note takers. Authentic. Excuse me. Authentic Christianity begins with authentic conversion. 
Authentic Christianity begins with authentic conversion. My voice cracked. If it cracks again, feel free to laugh. I don't mind. I blew up my voice yesterday. I was driving in the car. I met with my brother and a, a song that I enjoy came on. And let's just say I got a little carried away singing the song. Authentic Christianity begins with authentic conversion. John chapter three is an incredible example of what I'm attempting to articulate. In John chapter three, we are allowed to eavesdrop on a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Now, we learn two things right away from this man, Nicodemus. Before that, I guess I should say the joke that is usually associated with the scripture is Nicodemus really is Nick at night. People like to say that joke. I feel like it's played out. Right. But we learn two things. Number one, he's a Pharisee. Now, what's that? What's a Pharisee? That word means separated one. I'd encourage you to do a study on the Pharisees and who they were. But for the sake of today, I'll tell you, the Pharisees and Jesus, they clashed over Jesus's interpretation of Scripture. They weren't a fan of who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God. They didn't like hearing that. On top of that, they didn't like Jesus, some of Jesus's interpretation of Scripture. Although Jesus's interpretation was the right interpretation, they would clash. Number two, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. It's also called the Sanhedrin Council. They were a group of 70 men. That number 70 is consistent with the 70 elders of Moses. It's a group of 70 men who were, who were held under the authority of the Roman government with the responsibility of making the decisions of day-to-day living for the Jews. They would make decisions based off the spiritual welfare of the Jews. So he is a Pharisee and he's a leader. And he runs up to Jesus and begins to praise Jesus because he admires Jesus. He wants to talk to Jesus because he's interested in Jesus. And Jesus interrupts his praise party and says, Nick, I know you're a leader and I know you're a Pharisee, but you must be born again. Now, imagine if Nicodemus heard what Jesus said. And there's a response recorded, but imagine if. Nicodemus turned to Jesus and said, hold on, Jesus, wait a minute, stop the record. You must not know who I am. I'm a Pharisee. What do you think Jesus would have said? Probably among the same thing. You must be born again. Jesus said this to Nicodemus because he knew Nicodemus needed to hear it. What if Nicodemus says, you know what, Jesus, I know more of your Bible than most of your disciples. You must be born again. I had a recent religious experience in my life. You must be born again. I I prayed Jesus into my heart. You must be born again. I was baptized as an infant. You must be born again. I grew up in church and went to Sunday school when I was younger. You must be born again. Jesus essentially is saying it does not matter the recent religious activities you have engaged in. He says, Nicodemus, I know you like me. I know you admire me. I know you really want to learn from me. But if you do not experience a rebirth, you won't be able to comprehend what I need to teach you. He says in verse three, you can't even enter the kingdom unless you're born again. He says, Nicodemus, I need you to see me right because I see you see me as a teacher. And that's good. That's not bad. But if all you do is see me as a teacher, then all you'll get is lessons. He says, Nicodemus, I need you to see me as something more. I need you to see me as a savior. You see me as a savior, you'll get your life fixed. 
Rebirth. He says, you must be born again. This is not a one-time occurrence in Scripture. It is not a random thing Jesus states. This is a topic that is spread all over Scripture, the idea of rebirth. Many of us are familiar with our next passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You can turn to there if you want. Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Titus chapter 3, verse 4, Paul writes to his mentee in the faith. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You say, Tariq, those are just two New Testament passages. It's in the Old Testament as well. The Bible has always talked about this idea, this principle of rebirth. Ezekiel prophesies about it. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new heart or a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He says, I'll remove that, that heart of stone. That's a hardened heart, a heart that's been hardened by sin. He says, I'll remove that and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. Not only that, he says, I'll give you a new spirit. Ezekiel is prophesying about something that's not manifested until the New Testament, where God says and he places his spirit within men and women. Rebirth, renewal, transformation. The Bible has always talked about this. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Many of us are familiar with this passage. It's pretty popular. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. We'll read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Now, we read it from front to back. Let's try something new. Let's read this from back to front and see if we can understand it a different way. You may need to turn there on your phones or in your Bibles. He says, if the new is not here and this is back to front and the old is not gone, then the new creation hasn't come, and I am not in Christ. Did you follow? Did I confuse you? Yes, no, maybe so. We'll read it again. If the new creation is not here, then the old creation is not gone. Then if the new creation hasn't come, and if I am not new creation, then I am not in Christ. Now, the Bible says, if anyone, you read this passage, you'll see it's, it's talking to anyone, anyone who wants to follow Christ. He's saying it's possible for anyone to achieve newness, anyone to be renewed. This is for everyone. He's not saying you automatically become perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you develop newness. Now, what's newness? New appetites, new desires, new attitudes. Newness. So Paul, if you read the passage, then you'll see he's actually implying that if I am not in Christ, then I don't have newness. And if I don't have newness, then that must mean I'm like Nicodemus. Tariq, what in the world did you just say? 
You see, Jesus has to have this conversation with Nicodemus because Nicodemus doesn't bring it up. Nicodemus doesn't bring it up because he doesn't know he needs to bring it up. Nicodemus doesn't know he needs to bring it up because he believes he's already experienced everything he needs to experience. So Nicodemus, his challenge is deciding whether or not to accept this new information that Jesus has given him. When I read this, I get the idea, and this is me paraphrasing based off of what I read, based off of what we read. I, I get the idea that Jesus is saying, look, Nick, I don't want you to miss the significance of this. I know you like me. I know you admire me. I know you really want to learn from me. But here's your issue. You're a fan. You're not a follower. And he says, I know you're a fan and you're not a follower because you came to me at night. That's a small detail. That's a detail that's, that's easy to miss. But it means a lot. The writer included that in there for a very specific purpose. Because we just learned Pharisees did not get along with Jesus. That implies that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, perhaps because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. Because if he was seen with Jesus by other Pharisees, that might not go well for him. He's on the Jewish ruling council. He didn't want to run the risk of being seen with Jesus, but he respected him. He came to him at night and Jesus is saying, look, because you came tonight, I understand you like me, you love me, you want to learn from me, but that implies you're, you're a fan. If you were a true follower of me, you wouldn't be ashamed to be seen with me. You probably would have approached me during the day. I've been here all day, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, if you like me the way you, you, you say you do and the way it looks like, you probably got word when I entered the town. You probably heard when I stepped foot into this town. And maybe that's why you came up to me. But because you're a fan and you're not a follower, that's an indication that you may not have had, Nicodemus, you may not have had an authentic conversion experience. And we know that because Jesus tells him to be born again. If he had done that, Jesus wouldn't have needed to say that. He says, you must be born again. He says, Nicodemus, you like me, but you're not really like me. Fan or follower? Which one describes you? Fan or follower? Which one would God use to describe you? You ask the question that way, you might get a different answer. Fan or follower? What's the difference? A fan is someone who likes Jesus. A fan is someone who admires Jesus. A follower is someone who has truly committed their life to follow Jesus. Fan or follower, which one describes you more recently? It's easy to revert back to, to our old ways, isn't it? It's extremely easy. Satan doesn't give up. Once we decide to be a follower of Jesus, Satan doesn't throw in the towel. He does not give up because he knows we all still know how to do everything we used to do. He knows how to get us to revert back to old ways. Which one describes you more recently, fan or follower? Now, I'm not asking this question to discourage you. If you're discouraged, I'm sorry. That's not my purpose. I'm not trying to make you upset with me. I'm not trying to make you angry. I'm not trying to make you sad. I'm, I'm, I'm asking because I'm trying to wake you up. Because Jesus describes a day where he's going to have to separate the two. He describes that day in Matthew chapter 7. Are you with me? Matthew chapter 7. He describes this day. This is something Jesus says, meaning it's central to Christianity. We can't ignore what Jesus says here. 
It's absolutely important. What does he say? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, when he says, Lord, Lord, he's not repeating himself. He's not being redundant. If you trace this back to its original language, it's written in Greek. And you'll see that the words there are kurios, kurios. That was their way of calling God Jehovah. So anyone who uses this phrase and they're sincere and they're genuine about saying kurios, kurios, it means they understand who God is. They understand that he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. They understand that he's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who raises my banner, the Lord who gives me victory. Not only that. They love him. They admire him. And on top of that, they do things for him in his name. It says they casted out demons. They do things in his name. The scariest part of this passage to me is one word. And it's in verse 22. He says many. He says many will say this. Many will live a lifestyle that resembles this. He uses many. He says, to many, I will have to say, away from me, you evildoers. This is something Jesus is quoted as saying. I imagine how much that breaks his heart to know that he's going to have to say that to many. I really hope that none of us have to hear that phrase. I really hope that none of us have to hear those words. That instead, I long for us all to hear something different. Something we see Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 21. Next slide. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Imagine what that would feel like. That you live your life in such a way where you meet God for the very first time. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Imagine what that would feel like. Well done. My good and faithful servant. That would make everything worth it, wouldn't it? All the suffering, life challenges, difficulty, self-denial, everything that we go through, it, it will make it all worth it to hear that phrase. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I picture God saying this to me while he's giving me a hug. And it's the hug of hugs. It's the greatest hug of all time. It's a hug that is comforting, but at the same time, it cracks my back a little bit. It's that type of hug. And I picture God whispering that in my ear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. One of my greatest and deepest convictions is to live life in such a way where I hear that. Above anything else, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Imagine that. Imagine hearing that. From God, when you get to heaven and see him for the first time, you say, Tariq, the way you picture it is a little dramatic. Well, I used to be a child actor, and so maybe that's a little Hollywood, the Hollywood in me. But imagine that. Now, who is that that hears that phrase? Well done, my good good and faithful servant. Who is that that hears that phrase? Matthew 7, verse 21 tells us. Exactly. Exactly. 
The one who has a willingness to do the will of God. The one who has the willingness to do the will of God. How do I inherit that? How do I get myself to the point where I have the willingness to do the will of God? To that, the answer is simple. You say, Tariq, all your questions have a simple answer. I try to keep it simple. The answer is quite simple. It's the person who is willing to surrender their will to God's will. And this is the core. Authentic Christianity at its very core, it's surrender. It's surrendering, surrendering your life over to Jesus. It's saying, look, I am no longer in charge of my life. I'm going to do everything you call me to do because I believe it's in my best interest. Surrender. It's getting yourself to a point where you see Jesus on the cross and you say, wow, you did that for me. You did all of that for me. You were willing to suffer in that way for me. You went all in for me. I'm, of course, I'm willing to do that for you. Absolutely, I'll go all in for you. Surrender. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 calls it making Jesus Lord. You know, you can go to the next slide. We, we recognize them in the beginning of our service. This is a, a collage of everyone who was, who was either restored or baptized last year. And, and I look at that and, and I look at each and every one of these people and it was, it was awesome actually doing this, the collage. I, I was trying to use an app to do it fast, but it didn't really quite work, so I had to do it manually. So it took some time, but I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm grateful that it took time because I got to look at all those pictures and I got to look at every single one of these people who were either restored, that means returning to God, or were baptized, beginning their journey with God. And I was filled with so much joy and a spirit of, man, I'm proud of these people. I am so proud of each and every one of these people. You know, you look at these pictures and you can see, man, some of these people have changed since these moments were taken, these photos were taken. Right, Darian, he's out of town, he's got longer hair. Right, but Raymond still has the same amount of joy. Right, he's in the corner there with his hands on his head. I'm so proud, but I love, I love these pictures because, for one, if you were there to experience any of these, even if it was just one, you, you would have felt the joy. The joy in each one of these, these people, each one of these men and women. But not only that, but the joy in those who actually helped them. You know, I was, I was privileged to be able to help some college students become true Christians this past year. And it's, it's, it's just so cool to see how some of them have changed. And I look at these photos and, and I just think, man, this is a incredible, just, just, just proof of what the word of God can do. How it can completely transform lives. I know in, in studying the Bible with some of these guys, I didn't, I didn't make anything up. We would sit down and all we would do was look at the scriptures. We would read a verse first, we would describe what it means, and then talk about how it applies. It was nothing that I said or anybody else who, who, who helped out. It was all the Word of God. The Word of God has power. It has such power, and it can change and completely transform lives. It was, it was awesome because Chris, Chris Mayo and I, we, we spend time together every week, and, and our, Tuesday's our day to go evangelize. We go reach out to, to, to the students at UCSB together and, and, and CC together. And when Chris was, was studying the Bible before he became a true Christian, that, that was over the summer, I would, I would pick him up, and we would drive to the, the Bible study together, and I would ask him, hey, Chris, how was your weekend? Or, hey, Chris, how was, how was your Monday night? And he would respond by saying, oh, I just worked, or I was playing Call of Duty, <laughs> 
All right, he's laughing right now, but it was so cool because on Tuesday I picked Chris up and I said, hey, Chris, how was your Monday night? And Chris turned to me and he said, it was great. And he's super excited about it. I said, why was it great? He's like, man, I got in the word of God. I said, man, that is a transformed life. Chris had never once said that when he was studying the Bible to me. Never once said, my Monday night was great because I got into the word of God. I didn't tell Chris I was going to share that. Right, so you might be a little embarrassed, but I think, man, wow. These are the people who have, in 2019, declared Jesus Lord of their life. The people who, who surrendered, who decided and said, you know what? You're right, Jesus. I do need to be reborn. My life does need to be transformed. And it's so awesome. We can give them a round of applause. We're so proud of each and every one of them. But again, the, the declaration has to be Lord. It has to be Curios. It has to be Jehovah. That's got to be the declaration. And in the same way, the Hebrews, if you read the Old Testament, the Hebrews were tempted to worship false gods, one being named Baal. And in the same way that they had to abandon their God, Baal has to be the exact same way we abandon any false god in our life. And the name may not be Baal. It can be money, relationships, achievement, success, a certain habit that we may or may not have hope where we can break. But hope is found in Jesus and he can help us break any habit. It's got to be Jesus is Lord. That's got to be the declaration. And so on today. Jesus, he wants one thing from you, and it's you. He wants you to become an authentic follower of him. And I understand each and every one of us, we're in a different place spiritually. We're at a different point in our life, so the decision that we must make, it may be different than the person sitting next to us. For some of us, we, may, we might have to make the decision to decide, you know what, I need to, to study out the Bible. We have to decide, you know what, I might not know as much about the Bible as I think I do. And we have to decide to sit down with somebody who does know more, someone who, who, who may or may not be older than us physically, but is wiser than us spiritually. And we have to be humble enough to sit down and study out the scriptures. Maybe that's a decision. You can go to the next slide. I think it says your move. Maybe it's, it's your decision is revisiting your own personal conversion and deciding and, and, and really analyzing to see if it actually matches up to the conversion that's, that's talked about in the Bible. Maybe you got to make a decision to get open about some sin. Maybe there's some sin in your life and it's, it's running rampant, but you're hiding it. And maybe your decision is, you know what? I need to get open about this. I need to confess this to somebody who will help me. Maybe, maybe it's the decision is I got to get baptized. Maybe some of us in here, we got to make the decision to get baptized. Right? Some of us, we might need to make the decision to say, you know what? It's time for me now to help others. I've been reborn myself. I've been sitting on the sidelines for way too long. I need to get in the game and start helping others. I need to pay it forward. I need to help others experience the same. We all have a decision that we need to make today. Some of us, maybe it's, I need to continue. I need to continue to live this life that God has called me to live because I have been reborn. And I need to make sure that I'm intentional in the way I'm living. So that can be above Satan's schemes. We all have a decision to make I pray and my hope and my prayer is that we become people who don't just make decisions, that we become people who follow through with our decisions. It's one thing to make a decision. It's a totally different thing to follow through with that decision. That's my prayer. I want to end here with Nicodemus, because if you read John chapter three, that's only a portion of Nicodemus' story. If you look up the word Nicodemus on your Bible app, you'll see he's, he, he comes up 
In John chapter 3, in, in John chapter 3, we don't know what Nicodemus does after this conversation with Jesus. It doesn't tell us what happens next. You'll see that if you look up his name in scripture, he's mentioned three times. One in John 3, one in John 7, lastly in John chapter 19. And I'm going to read John chapter 19 for us here. I don't have it in my notes. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Now, we don't know. It's not clear whether or not Nicodemus had been or decided to go through with this rebirth that Jesus told him he needs to go through. We don't know. We do know he's mentioned two more times in Scripture. Now, what does that tell me? The fact that Nicodemus is seen here with a disciple, a true follower of Jesus, with Jesus' body, indicates that he was either on the verge of making that decision or he had already made that decision, that he listened to what Jesus was saying. And even in the midst of Jesus's death, where many people scattered and many people fled, the Bible says, Nicodemus was there tending to Jesus's body. Regardless of not whether he, he actually was restored or he was on the verge, we know that Nicodemus was doing some thinking and he did some considering and he made the decision to be there for Jesus and be there with the disciples. Let's all make the decision to decide today that we're going to live as authentic followers of Jesus. Let's all decide today to do what we need to do in our life in order to be considered an authentic follower of Jesus. I really do hope that this was a, a, a great time for you. I really hope this added value to your faith. We're going to go ahead and close with a, with a prayer and the worship team. I believe you're going to lead us in one more song as I look at Josh Zajac. Awesome. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love your word. Thank you so much for giving us the example of Nicodemus. Thank you so much for giving us that conversation, the ability to eavesdrop on that critical conversation. I pray that we heed it. God, I pray that we think and we really analyze and determine where we're at spiritually and make decisions to grow. God, we know that the temptation is to walk out of this room and hearing your word of God and be moved in our heart. But the temptation could be not to make a decision and follow through with that. I, I pray that we follow through, God. I pray that, that, that Satan is absolutely terrified. That each and every one of us, because today we're going to decide to live in accordance to your word and live as authentic followers of you, God. I pray for 2020. I pray that, that we can see more of what we saw in 2019. Men and women making the decision to make you Lord of their lives. God, I know that after we sing this last song, we're going to be enjoying food together and we're going to be enjoying one another's company. I pray for that time. I pray that it is an awesome time of fellowship. I pray we edify one another. I also do pray that we communicate different decisions that we made today with one another over dinner. God, we love you so much. In your name I pray. Amen.